Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. We are live on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. I'm your host, Weston Williams, joined this week by co-hosts George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Tobias Wright. All right, tonight we're joined live in studio by Molly Sender, Administrative Director of the Ravinia Steens Music Institute, the Summer Conservatory at America's oldest summer music festival. We'll talk to her about what makes this program special, who will be hosting this summer's master classes, and why, no, you can't have her tickets to the Nickelback concert at Ravinia in August. Plus, in the two-minute drill, reviews from La Scala and the Idée Provence Festival, a first for Carabino, and a last for British political protesters. And of course, you can call us on air and get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. Give us your opinion on what we're talking about tonight. 847-866-9687. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score or post on our Facebook page. And without further ado, George Cedarquist. How does it feel to be in the uh, lesser position tonight? Studio 2. Yeah, back there in Studio 2. How's it feel? It's really chilly in here, actually. <laughs> That's why we normally snuggle when we're back there. That, of course, is Tobias Wright. How is it feeling up in uh, the Studio Number 1 with me? It feels, studio, it feels great. I can see George perfectly clear because I got new glasses. Wow. It turns out if you don't go to the eye doctor for three years, you are, in fact, blind. <laughs> nobody, nobody tells you what, that. What made you uh, discover that you, uh, you couldn't see anything anymore? Well, I got health insurance so I could afford to discover it. Ooh. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. Let's talk some sports here. First of all, I want to be the person to uh, break this news to everyone, um, all, to all of our listeners who have no idea. Women's World Cup. USA. 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 Amazing show. Uh, I mean, just, uh, I mean, it, it is bizarre to me the level of competency the women's team has and just how consistently amazing they are and how they're and paid so much less. Utterly dominant. Utterly dominant. I mean, dominant. To win two World Cups in a row and four of the eight Women's World Cups, that is just... It's incredible. crazy. Yeah. Uh, I have a note here from Oliver Camacho, who'll be joining us a little bit later. It just says Wimbledon, uh, and that's all I I don't know know if I can say this, but I'm sure that there's something uh, that makes him feel warm and fuzzy and (laughs) and happy about tennis and Wimbledon and grass. It's the short shorts. Oh, and the, I think and yeah. the balls. Well, he thanks. <laughs> he he wanted us to say that that Wimbledon was gay. <laughs> I, I think that's what he said. Wimbledon says gay rights. I, love I, it. I don't know. <laughs> or that it made him feel gay. I can't. We'll ask him when he gets. I when think he, he gets got lost show. in translation from the Filipino. I'm uh, to be honest with um, you. 
I want to talk about something in the sports world. We've talked far too long about sports. Most of our listeners have turned off. But Kawhi Leonard <laughs> chose to go from the Toronto Raptors to the Los Angeles Clippers. And in the span of six hours while the world was sleeping, which was the best part of all of this, the entire NBA season got flipped upside down for next year. And there is parody. There's no one singular team. Everybody thought he was going to go to the Lakers and play with LeBron and play with Anthony Davis. And he said, no, I'm going to the Clippers, but I want Paul George. And the Thunder did it. It's amazing. I love the NBA. And now he's crossed town from the Lakers as well. He's really in the same building. I mean, The the, the Clippers, once the laughingstock of the National Basketball Association, now poised for... Dominance? Well, I was going to say not (laughs) mediocrity, basically. I mean, sometimes that's all you can really ask for, you know? All right, let's talk some opera. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. All right, the Ravinia Steens Music Institute is the summer conservatory at America's oldest summer music festival. Each season, talented young musicians from around the world come together at RSMI to make music with an internationally renowned performing faculty through the Institute's three programs, jazz, piano, strings, oh, piano and strings, that's one of the categories, and singers, that's the three. Uh, Administrative Director Molly Sender uh, joins us live in Studio 2 now. Molly, thanks for hanging out with us uh, on the OBS crew tonight. Yeah, while Molly's getting plugged in, getting those headphones ready, getting that mic ready, we want to do a little overview of the Ravinia Festival, mm. and we're going to start with that. Uh, it is America's oldest outdoor music festival. Really? Uh, what, when was it? Uh, when did it start? Do we know? Hit us up, Toby. I mean, oh, I have no idea when it started. <laughs> but here we go. Here we go. Well, I'm looking. 1905, I believe, uh, the first summer of 1905, it hosted the New York Philharmonic, um, and uh, that, and you know, as they say, the rest is history. It's been the summer home of the Chicago Symphony Orchestra since 1936. Uh, it's a really big deal, particularly if you live in the Chicagoland area, even though it's fairly up north, kind of outside the city. It's a, uh, it's an amazing place to just go and kind of uh, listen to these well, summer it's, concerts. It's a beautiful setting with a lawn it's to me what's incredible about the Ravinia festival is not only the talent but the breadth of talent it's not it's the best classical singers in the world but it's also the biggest pop stars in the world you know last year was tony bennett and and lady gaga and and, and, and dare i say uh, 50 cent toby you and i were checking out <laughs> george cedarquist and i ravinia did go ravinia see 50 cent at ravinia <laughs> g g g you um, <laughs> no but like to that point i saw and then Aretha there was Frank. Mahler eight yeah, <laughs> but it, the 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 range of programming is pretty delightful. This is what I makes it special. I mean, it what makes it like the place to be. Yeah, during the summertime, we're joking about Mallory, but actually, Weston, you were super excited about oh. that. Why? What makes Mahler Eight? It's one of the largest so sort of uh, works in the general repertoire. It's frequently referred to as the Symphony of a Thousand. I think that's actually a little bit of an exaggeration, but it's not by much. It's I like believe nine hundred and ninety nine. Yeah, something it's. Like that. <laughs> I think it's eight hundred something. Uh, that, of course, is uh, Oliver Camacho in the other studio. I'm there. here. He's here. Wait, he Oliver. We need you to clarify something about Wimbledon. Yes. We may have misspoke, but you said something, <laughs> something, something. Anything. It makes me feel gay. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's where I'm gonna um, get married. Remember, I told like on center court. Uh, oh, yeah. that was it. Okay, I have a very special place in my heart for for center court of Wimbledon, married on the grass. You know, mm. uh, with. Uh, the princess, Prince William, Princess William, Princess William, <laughs> and Meghan looking on. 
Uh, <laughs> they're not even married, you know. Dude. My, I don't know my, my English monarchies, Let, let's, monarchists. Let's move this back yeah. to music. No, just no, no, a no, but, but really briefly about Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, Serena, Roger are through. Serena and Roger are through. Yeah. Some yeah. of the people that I love very much are not. What about Coco? I love Coco so much, but she beat Venus, so she had to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she had to go. It was her time. Okay, so Mahler 8. Let's get back to Mahler 8. Uh, yes. It's one of, as I said, it's one of the largest uh, symphonies in the repertoire. Uh, it, it is it is a massive piece. I've always been a big Mahler guy. He's, uh, you know, uh, obviously he's not someone who comes across the radar of our show very often uh, because of the distinct lack of operas. But these are very operatic works in terms of dramatic scope, uh, in terms of uh, complexity of music. This is not just, uh, th this is, this is uh, uh, these are huge choral and solo works. This particular performance, uh, I, I believe it's going to have like a, a double chorus uh, Marin Alsop will be conducting children's uh, choir as well. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Angela Mead will be uh, will be there. Uh, Leah Crochet. Yeah, so here's yeah. Here's what's interesting for our audience: the soloists have are that are lined up for this performance. You could not put a better roster together. Mm. Absolutely. Angela Mead, Leah Crochet, Janine De Beek. Michelle DeYoung, Kelly O'Connor, Joseph Kaiser, Paolo Jot, who actually is having a big season at Ravinia this year, mm -hmm. and our favorite, Ryan Speedo-Green. Oh, um, why don't we listen to a little bit of uh, Michelle DeYoung, who sure. is much more, she's also featured in a, a Bernstein program, Bernstein, I was corrected by WFMT, <laughs> in a Bernstein program uh, later on this uh, in August. But here she is singing a little bit of a Brahms lead called Von Ewige Liebe. So uh, Michelle DeYoung is one of my favorites, and she is featured, like I said, in this Mahler program and a Bernstein program. Uh, there are other really fantastic events happening uh, on the main stages, uh, Martin Theater and the Pavilion. Uh, so they have actually three stages. There's the Pavilion, which is like the giant, you know, for orchestra concerts and pop concerts, and it's all broadcast onto the lawn, and it feels like a big picnic. Um, then there's the Martin Theater, which is a venue that's, Hi, Molly. About how many people fit in the Martin Theater? Um, it's around, I think, 850 or so. Oh, wow. That's still pretty big, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which big. is their mid-size venue. And then they have one of the most exquisite recital halls uh, in the North Shore, maybe in the Chicago area, called the Bennett Gordon Hall, where some activities uh, like small piano recitals and the Steen Institute programming, which we'll talk about soon, happens. And that venue seats, what, about 300 or something like that? Uh, 350. 350, yeah. okay. <laughs> That's a but, fair amount of people. Yes. Uh, yeah. So some highlights besides the Mahler and the Bernstein. Renee Fleming is going to be singing Andre Previn's last work for 
voice and string quartet uh, called Penelope. I guess it's based on the Ulysses theme. Uh, we have Matthias Goerner uh, doing a really interesting leader program uh, that he already premiered at uh, Carnegie Hall with the virtuoso and very handsome pianist Daniil Tufonov. <laughs> um, Toby, you had one you wanted to talk about? Yeah, Nickelback. And I mean, you talk about... <laughs> Get off. This, that's a different I'm show, sorry. Toby. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, no, but for for me, there's two <laughs> particular concerts that I'm really excited for. One is going to be friend of the show and former guest, Matthew Polanzani, and he's doing a beautiful concert, a recital featuring Schubert, and then one of my favorite cycles ever, Andi Fene Geliebte, um, Beethoven. Bless you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then... Um, <laughs> giving a concert and a master class is, is Angel Blue. And, you know, we've talked about Angel Blue on the show um, I, several weeks ago, a couple weeks ago. I was first black singer to sing Traviata at La Scala. She had the viral video talking to a bunch of children about opera, which was oh, hilarious. It's, it's adorable. You have to watch that. Um, recently as the Met as Musetta. And, sh- you know, I'm really excited to see actually the master class because she's such a young, vibrant, energetic so down-to-earth layman who came to opera, which is something that I think is really appealing to people. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to that. And actually, her recital is... I have the list somewhere, but I mean... I have it right in front of my face. It's She's singing uh, the Strauss, Alleluia from yeah. Mozart, uh, the Exultate Bilate, some Strauss leader, some beautiful Rachmaninoff songs, uh, Jake Heggie set, some mm-hmm. spirituals. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a sweet, sweet concert. Um, let's actually hear a little bit of Angel Blue. Yeah. Uh, this is from Canadian Opera Company's spring performance of La Bohemie. Did you cut it really right Did you there? Really? <laughs> what? I did. George I cut it right before that final cadence. George. Yeah, what you gonna do about it? So why do pink bonnets... Sensor Why do pink go. bonnets make us so emotional? What is it about a pink bonnet? Toby? I'm, I'm not about the bonnet, man. all the times that a pink bonnet has made me super emotional, and I don't know exactly why. <laughs> okay, so there's one performance that caught Molly, my eye. Molly, do you cause... regret coming on the show already? <laughs> not yet. Okay, good. We'll, we'll get you there. We'll do it. So there's one performance that happens uh, at the end of July uh, that caught my eye because I did not understand it. So I actually invited uh, Molly Sender to come help us understand this thing, even though she's here to talk about a different topic altogether. But it's called Mad Scene. And uh, it is a concert slash recital slash music theater. Um, It's sort of like a recital with a narrative uh, performed by um, soprano Marisol Montalvo, who was a Miss America contestant a few years ago. Really? Yes. And pianist William Hobbs. It was written and directed by Jeffrey Roberson. And uh, Montalvo is a soprano who's been having a, a career singing the role of Lulu, 
Mm. Uh, and the premise of this show is that it's autobiographical and it sort of explores like the trajectory of her unusual entrance into the opera world. And it includes music by like Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> and mm. um, Sond- is there some Sondheim in this yeah. show? Yeah. And then Mozart, no, um, Donizetti, some bel canto, I'm sure it's going to be like a Lucia deal, and Berg. So how many times have you heard a singer sing Rodgers and Hammerstein or Stein? God, I never know how to say that. Uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein <laughs> and Lulu, like in the same. In the same concert. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be pretty weird. Yeah. But if you remember, I think I might have talked about this. Um, last year, or early, yeah, last year, Janine de Beek gave a recital. And she was naturally very autobiographical mm-hmm. about her selections. And she like told a little story of how each of these song sets related to her before she performed them. And it was very um, disarming because she really talked to the audience like she was talking to like her friends, you know. And she was very candid about her life and her experiences and her struggles. And then she like sang beautifully and emotionally. And I was really entertained, but I'm not sure if everybody was there for all of that. <laughs> they like came to hear some <laughs> Strauss songs, you know. Um, let's. Do you have anything else to add about this unusual performance, not, Matt? Scene? Not really. Just that I know that yeah, it's it's really diverse. Um, and from what I thought I had heard, and maybe I shouldn't be broadcasting this yeah. on podcast, but who no, knows? please do. Um, <laughs> is that it? Sort of is depicting all of the ways that women get depicted as going mad. Mm. In different shows, so um, I because guess we'll women, show women up are and naturally find hysterical. Out. Yeah, you know, it's great to be in this room of all men. <laughs> we are we are part Hi. of the problem. <laughs> Oliver, maybe more than most. But <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but it should definitely be a really interesting program to yes. see. Yes, bizarro, Absolutely. but pro- potentially very beautiful. And, and yeah. it is something that you know you do often see these mad scenes in operas, specifically with women, uh, and uh, even when you see mad scenes with men I find you find that they're not often called mad scenes you know I I think it's a very uh, it's one of those things that I think you know it can definitely be brought out by a program like this that is this eclectic where it's it's so universal across all these different sort of uh, subgenres well let's hear a little bit of Marisol Montavo in her signature role Lulu Y'all, I love me some Lulu. Yeah, I, I included that for you and your audience. <laughs> Thank you. We know, we know that you're the people that come to Opera Box Score to hear you. Talk, would just talk about Berg all the yeah. time. <laughs> so um, I just want to bring up one thing that we didn't mention, but maybe it was obvious. Uh, Angel Blue is black, and Marisol Montavo is also a woman of color. I think maybe she's of Latin American descent or something like that. Af- I don't know. But um, uh, Puerto Rican. 
There you go. Thank you very much. Um, so this is one of my personal soapboxes that like we need to see more representation in classical music. And Ravinia has been doing a great job of it, I have to say, uh, in bringing these artists to their stage, even though they're not doing opera per se, they are exposing or introducing these new uh, artists to what is a, actually a rather conservative audience on the North Shore of Chicago, right. where all the money lives. Um, and, um, you know, last year or maybe two years ago, they had Ryan Speedo Green um, and Morris Robinson on the same season, which was mm. hilarious to me that, you know, people who were going out for recitals were getting to hear two African-American low voice males, and they actually ended up singing one of the same song cycles. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, but um, as... Toby alluded to um, Angel Blue will be giving a master class with the Staines, Staines Institute. Yes. yes. As will Matthew Polanzani, actually, yes. who is white, but mm -hmm. we love him. Uh, so we're going to uh, pivot to the Staines Institute after a break. Right after the break. Yeah, we've got more coming up with um, administrative, uh, Ravinia Steen's music director, uh, administrator, sorry, administrative director, Molly Sender coming up with including what to look forward to in the uh, 2019 summer season, which we've covered a little bit of already. That's all next up on uh, America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. <laughs> Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the bear hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at operaboxscore at gmail.com for rates and availability. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. That's what you're listening to here on WNUR, and we are talking to uh, Molly. Molly Sender, talking about the Ravinia uh, Staines Music Institute. Uh, she's the administrative director there. Uh, welcome, Molly. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the institute, what it's all about, um, and how it all works. Absolutely. Uh, Ravinia Staines Music Institute was, it's uh, 31 years old. It was founded originally just as a chamber music program uh, back in 1988, and it's Ravinia's Summer Music Conservatory, um, or Summer Music Programs. Uh, it's grown at first, like I said, just program for piano and strings. It has grown to be three programs now. We kick off our summer with a program for jazz, then we go into the program for piano and strings, and then uh, we end the summer with the program for singers. And um, the idea of the, the Institute is that it's, it's highly selective. It's very hard to get into. Um, and these, the musicians that join us for the summer really get to come to the Music Institute and just focus on their art. Mm. Um, all of them, none of them have to pay to be at the Music Institute. Once they're in, they're in. We take care of you know, their housing, uh, performance opportunities, recording opportunities, all that sort of stuff. And um, they get to work with some of the most 
renowned faculty in the world. And these musicians also come from all over the world, um, especially both our piano and strings program and our voice program. Um, it's pretty much about 50% international in both of those programs. Hmm. And um, the idea being that these musicians just get to come and focus on art and let kind of the rest of the world melt away. You've all been to Ravinia. <laughs> you know it's a pretty dreamy spot. Um, and to be a musician there and to get to just have time away from whether you're in conservatory or pursuing your doctorate or your teaching or what have you, these are where young professionals get to go in the summer and really focus, um, meet with their other peers that are going through similar things. They get to perform with one another and hopefully make relationships that are going to last them through the remainder of their careers. So I have been attending Staines Institute masterclasses and performances since I was a student at Northwestern University a long time ago. And I learned more just going to those master classes um, than I might have learned. I shouldn't be saying this. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> but you know, I heard Barbara Bonnie, Thomas Hampson, Kyrie Takanawa, mm -hmm. Krista Ludwig give master classes. And you know, they have the experience that I'm just quite frankly, faculty at your standard conservatory, even one as prestigious as Northwestern Bean and School of Music, don't have access to. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the kind of where this program fits into a lot of these other young artist programs in this country, Merrilla, Chautauqua, sure. Central City. It's interesting to me that, at least Molly, hearing what you're saying, it really has this focus on process mm -hmm. and education and kind of being in the workshop more so than performance. Or no, is, no, no, they're actually performing correct? a lot, but what you're missing the point is that they're focusing on song. Mm -hmm. And that's what program, yeah. that's what makes this very special. I mean, Santa Barbara also does that to a certain extent with the Marilyn Horn leading that uh, Music Academy of the West. But uh, Ravinia Staines is one of the few places where they only work on right. song. I mean, they might do a little bit of music theater here or there, but uh, this is repertoire that we don't get a chance to work on as people are pursuing an opera career because you have to work on your arias and you have to do auditions like right. that, you know and this you're is focused on roles you're focused yeah. on full productions right exactly yeah. and so for three weeks if you're for in our voice program which is three weeks long you strip away all the costumes you strip away all of the nah, chorus nah, nah, you nah, strip baby. away all of that and you just get to focus we have five collaborative collaborative pianists on staff and you get assigned your collaborative pianist for the summer and that's who you work with hmm. for three weeks we also bring in faculty in sort of chunks so um just about every week you're working with new faculty members so, so they come to you we already <laughs> talked about angel blue and matthew polanzani being part of the uh training this year who else uh, are some of the prestigious faculty that are coming this year well our program director is kevin murphy um he's uh runs the program for collaborative piano and um, obviously is world-renowned as a pianist at IU, uh, Jacobs School of Music. Uh, other faculty coming this summer we're really excited about, Stephen Blyer, Graham Johnson. Um, all wait, 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 wait. Graham Johnson? Graham Johnson <laughs> okay. is coming. So if you're like a Schubert nerd like I am, you know that Graham Johnson is like the Schubert Encyclopedia. He literally, the wrote, Encyclopedia. <laughs> he literally wrote the three-part Schubert's Encyclopedia, yes. <laughs> so he will be with us, um, and he will, while he will not be giving a master class, um, he is going to be, we're putting on a concert on August 14th of Leader, and he's going to kind of 
be peppering it with commentary throughout that concert. Oh, so that'll spicy be spicy concerts. Yes, spicy, yeah. <laughs> spicy Schubert. Yeah. Um, and so. Molly, you mentioned Stephen Blyer. Do you know what type of repertoire he's working on? Typically, when I've worked with him in the past, his work has been very much on like 20th century musicals. But Drink. What's on his? Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Anytime George name drops, Molly, just so you know, or talks about a place that he directed, we drink. <laughs> <laughs> um, he really, what's interesting about the program is that the fellows, when they first get accepted into the program, they get to write in about the repertoire that they want to work on. Mm-hmm. And so the faculty really will kind of bend for them and hmm. work on the, pro- on the repertoire that they want to work on, which is really remarkable. Again, you get to kind of dictate your own path Obviously, there are going to be some repertoire assignments from us, uh, but they get to bring what they want, um, which is which is pretty amazing. And we have a concert of just we just call them internally like open rep, open rep concerts where bring what you want and we'll 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 make a program out of it. So, um, and these concerts are $10 or free? Uh, for they're, they're 12 oh. They've gone up. I know Inflation. it's pretty Inflation. prohibitive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the <laughs> evening concerts that we have, yes, are, are $12. The afternoon concerts and all three of the master classes we have and the three master class uh, faculty this year are Kevin Murphy, uh, Matt, Matthew Polanzani, and Angel Blue. Those are all free. Yeah. Hmm. So, Toby? So one of the things you were talking about was uh, the young artists when they're applying um presenting some of the things that they want to work on and so i am kind of curious you know what is the selection process like and and what is the range in both age talent level are you looking for potential are you looking for already established because i know for instance right now some of the fellows are adler fellows who are grand finals winners of the met um and but also there are people that are probably just coming out of undergrad as well so can you talk a little bit about that process and i am coming from a singer perspective you should know that yeah sure i can't i have nothing to say about strings i don't know i'm sorry yeah i know i I know what podcast i'm on here um thank you (laughs) so uh for the voice program it's it's a pretty rigorous process it's a first pass um or a first round application of sending in video uh video auditions and from there kevin murphy will narrow down the you know hundreds of applicants that we get to do in-person auditions um and his efforts in finding the best musicians in the world has actually expanded to the point where we are now doing auditions in chicago new york and berlin wow um, in order to make sure that we're getting the best the best of the best um so that's been been really wonderful to get the european crowd and so many americans that have moved <laughs> to europe to per- pursue a, a voice career um and from there he narrows it down and we only accept 15 fellows mm-hmm. so it's a really small program uh people are not going to get lost uh, you're going to have a lot of focus, yeah. <laughs> maybe too much. No, not too much. <laughs> but um, you're 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 going to have a really um, intense summer of study, and um, you're going to every single person that comes to the music institute is going to get on stage. They're going to perform, whether it's in uh, masterclass concerts, both. Every single person is going to perform, and the sort of, I would say, in terms of the the experience level that you were asking about. Um, I think one of the beauties of the the Staines program is that it's a range. And Kevin Murphy, when he selects musicians, he keeps sort of the atmosphere in mind. He keeps the uh, rapport in mind and what's going to go on between the musicians because so many of the programs that you have mentioned before, just in general, if you're going to a summer program and you're staging an opera, 
it can be competitive. It can it can feel harsh. And he really wants to create an atmosphere that's collegial at RSMI. And so we have, um, you know, last year we had our first, we called her an apprentice singer. Hmm. Um, she's actually from the area, from Chicago. But we heard her audition, and we couldn't believe it. And she was 19. And so Kevin thought, well, she's not she's not quite there yet. But I want her to see what this experience would be like. Yeah. And so she came, and what was really cool was some of the fellows that were a little bit older, because our program we tend to say eighteen to thirty, and as you all would know, voice tends to skew a little older, which sure. is the way that it you know develops. So what was fun was last year, um, one of our fellows, Nils Nilsson, who I think is you know early thirty, really took this apprentice singer Caroline under his wing, and oh. it was really fun to watch that happen because it was this sort of organic. Um, let me show you how it works, and let me talk you through any nerves that let you have. Let me show you how it works. I love it. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It was so innocent and happy. Stop. Yeah. So, I have, like I said, I've been going to Stain's, Stain's uh, Stain. performances and master classes for a long time, and I don't remember everybody who I saw, but I know that I saw Misha bruger Gosman. I've heard Isabel Byrak-Darian, uh, Janiah Brugger, mm-hmm. um, recently Emily D'Angelo. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, have been some great singers to have gone through oh, that yeah. program and people who I respect their song singing, not just their performances on an opera stage, uh, who, well, I know that I have two singers I want to talk about, yes. um, coming this year, returning this year, uh, a baritone named Samuel Hasselhorn. Samuel Hasselhorn. Can you tell right. us a little bit about Samuel? Sure. I mean, he, he's, uh, an incredible baritone. I believe he, um, Queen Elizabeth he won Queen yeah. Elizabeth yeah. last year. And um, he's making his Don Queen Giovanni. Queen Elizabeth now has to live with him. Right, he, he exactly. Won. <laughs> she, actually, that ain't no she prize. lives in his house. Um, so he's actually making his Don Giovanni pre- uh, debut, I think, at Lyon. Okay. Um, and he's returning. He was with us actually twice before, 2014 and then 2017, and is returning this summer um, to, to be with us. He's a three-peater? Has that ever happened he's before? Th- he's, our, I think, our first three-peater. Mm. It's pretty exciting. It's I'm happened so in the happy. Piano and Strings program, yeah. but never in the voice program. So hmm. That speaks volumes for the program, it of course. Really right? The artists want to yeah. come back again mm-hmm. multiple times. Well, he's got this huge career, and he wants to come back because it's... Love I mean, it. I'm and that's biased, because they want to see that weird brown guy in the audience who's always <laughs> clapping really loud and asking to <laughs> interview them on the podcast. Um, let's listen <laughs> I to. I think it's because they love Highland Park. <laughs> no, clearly. <laughs> let's listen to Samuel Hasselhorn sing uh, a, a song from uh, Wolf's Italianicious Liederbuch. This is one of my favorites. This is Benedite Di Zelga Mutter with pianist Joseph Middleton. Schönheit aus Herr. 
So if they enter the program as opera singers, they leave the program as a stylist. I mean, mm-hmm. that is such a beautiful, detailed uh, reading of that song. And with his, impeccable German diction. Well, he's German, isn't he? he? Is. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably, that probably but helps. But impeccable yeah. nonetheless. But I mean, his, his tone quality is like a hug. It's like just so mm. like warm and burnished, you know, for somebody who's that young, but it's clean, you know? And I'll just say that like one of the joys of going to hear Stain's programs is that, you know, it's a hot summer, it's August, and you know, Chicago has got like all of Palooza going on and whatever taste of Chicago and it's just really harried. But you go to Highland Park and you drive past the Botanical Gardens and you park uh, near Ravinia Festival, especially for Stain's programs. You can actually park right up there without having to pay. You got yeah. that secret parking yeah, there, Oliver. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Don't you, tell them about it on the air And then you go into Bennett Gordon Hall, which is one of the most serene places in the city. And you get to just sit back and listen to this music. And mm. it's it's heaven. It's a respite. So, uh, One more thing we'll talk about before we wrap up. Uh, another returning singer. This is a tenor. We yeah. talked about him already. Nils Nilsson. Nils Nilsson. Yes. What a great name. From Norway. <laughs> yeah. Nils Nilsson from Norway. Any relation to Birgit? <laughs> he's also the the father hen over there. Or taking yes. In the <laughs> oh, he's just such a dear. Yes. Yeah. Um, so he's coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess it was last year you were beginning the almost two-year celebration of Bernstein. Right. And was it yes. an all-Bernstein program, or was it... The last program that we did was all-Bernstein. Okay. When you when he sang yeah. Maria. Well, he also sang Make Our Garden Grow. Yes. Okay. And everybody cried. We're going to listen right. to a little bit of Candide, <laughs> uh, a Make Our Garden Grow, uh, from last year. Oh, I don't know, the pianist. Let me see. I'm going to sing along. Uh, the pianist <laughs> is... I will uh, mute your mic. <laughs> uh, Kevin Murphy. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin Murphy. Okay. Bernstein. Mm. Not a dry seat in the house. Man. <laughs> Listen to that. Dry seat, dry not, eye in the house. <laughs> dry seat is like, are they sweating in their butt? Like, what's happening? <laughs> it is summer, you know. I, I did see a yeah. tear fall out of Toby's eyes. Uh, <laughs> I, honestly, I listened to that, and I, yeah, I do go sad. Yeah, oh, it, it's, it's such a beautiful music. It's a beautiful. I love song. Candide, yeah. and that was sung beautifully by Niels Nielsen. Yeah. Yes, it was. It, it's such a sensitive reading of it too. Not the one that you usually hear with Candide, because I feel like everyone always gets so uh, caught up in all the weirdness of some of the parts of Candide. They they never just sit down and just this is this is this. Well, if you, you know? want to hear a repeat performance, uh, he will be performing it on July twenty seventh during the Leonard Bernstein sort of tribute celebration concert. With Michelle DeYoung and Isabel Leonard. Yep. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, Isabel is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Isabel yeah. Leonard, yeah. yeah. yeah you're going to want to be there. Ryan, I think is Ryan's between green in that, or Paula's out in that program. Paula. Paula's out, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this conversation is just so perfect, Molly, because here we are. It's at the All Star break in Major League Baseball. All the stars are out, <laughs> and if there was one place for <laughs> classical music stars, it would really have to be. Ravinia. If we're talking about the Chicago area, yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. We do have an international audience who might say, I don't know, Glyndebourne or... <laughs> we're going to get to Glyndebourne X. in a couple weeks. Okay. Molly, before we let you go, sure. going back to the lawn and the main stage, what is that one show that you just cannot wait to see? Oh, great question. Uh, I actually go, think... Ghostbusters? Uh, no. Weird Al Yankovic. While I'm very excited for both of those, <laughs> I actually think if you missed Mass last year, come back and see it this year. It is, I think, a crazy, insane, beautiful production. All of that and is accurate. And it didn't... Did you go last year? Yeah. And like I, when the marching band came out, I got emotional. I was like, yes. what, what of, it's Molly, so one of our much. one of our other co-hosts is, was in it last year and will be in it again. Yeah, I mean, you were talking about Mahler with so many people, you know, working together on stage. I think when you just get a production that yeah. has that many people just working really hard, it's really something special. And uh, Mass doesn't get staged very often, yeah. as I think we probably all know. Mm. And um, it's it's going to be quite quite a scene. And this one has Grammy Award winner Kareem Suleiman mm-hmm. in the street chorus. <laughs> It's got a whole, and the Highland Park marching band, yeah. and it's just got every, <laughs> you the Glen you know, Ellen Children's Choir, is it Anima, or this I year, I forget. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. It's just, it's a yeah. whole lot of people yeah. working yeah. really hard on stage, and it's going to be, it's just such a, such a beautiful thing. The other thing that we, um, we just sent a, you know, an email about to our Ravinia listserv is that it's going to be part of a TV special this year. Hmm. Oh, so, wow. Um, Make sure you're there for it. Yeah, you can get in there, uh, see if you can jump in frame. Uh, yeah. That's definitely what I'm going to exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah, maybe you'll get <laughs> no, your, your... Not you. ...can take this to the silver screen. Uh, Molly Sender is the administrative director of the Ravinia Staines Music Institute. If you're in the area of Chicago and are interested in grabbing tickets at uh, Ravinia, you can check out ravinia.org. Thank you so much for joining us, Molly. Thanks for having me. Enough box office stats from Europe to make your head spin. That is next on Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern Evanston, Chicago. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on opera news in the two-minute drill. Plus, our patented segments like Fantasy Fockball, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Josef Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. This just in the two-minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know that happened in Opera Land over the past week. 
Mezzo-soprano Anita Rachvelishvili bowed to, uh, vowed to boycott performing in Russia due to the ongoing conflict between Russia and Georgia, her homeland. She released a statement online that said, quote, I will not sing in Russia because dictator Putin is killing our people and stealing our lands. Friend of the show, countertenor Kangming Justin, Justin Kim has become the first male singer to interpret the iconic role of Cherubino in Mozart's Le Nozze di Figaro at the Royal Opera House. On the outskirts of Rome, Opera Camion is breaking from tradition. Breaking from tradition, that's a pun, because the setting for the company's performances is a modified transport truck parked in a public square. Woody Allen's production of Puccini's comedy Gianni Schicchi opened this past weekend at La Scala in Milan. Hashtag me too, anyone? British protest group Extinction Rebellion staged a die-in at the Royal Opera House to protest against the oil giant BP's sponsorship of the theater. The programming of Beethoven's powerful Ode to Joy for the finale of the renowned Three Choirs Festival in early August was pro has prompted anger due to its use as the EU uh, anthem. One irate Brexiteer has called for a boycott. Uh, New York Times critic Joshua, um, Joshua Barone writes, quote, The first thing we hear in Christophe Honoré's new production of Puccini's Tosca at the I Festival is not the score's thunderous opening chords, but a recording of the veteran soprano Catherine Malfit Malfitano singing Visi d'Arte as the curtain rises, we see Miss Malfitano herself dressed in billowy black loungewear. Madame Florence Cole Talbert McCleave will be inducted into the Memphis Music Hall of Fame on November 8th. Born in 1890, she was the first African-American woman and opera singer to perform internationally to critical acclaim. The Komische Opera in Berlin sold 20, 225,000 tickets for 239 performances, topping 90% season capacity for the first time. Dominique Meyer has turned in outstanding figures in Vienna before departing next year at La Scala. The capacity rate was 99.10%, up from 86, uh, 98, rather, 0.61 in 2017-2018 season. Polish baritone Mariusz Kwiecin has withdrawn from Mozart's Marriage of Figaro in Munich. His last-minute replacement is Christoph Pohl. And exit stage right, American bass baritone Spiro Malas has died at the age of 86 on June 23rd. And on this day, July 8th, Ottino Respighi was born in 1879, and it was the premiere of the making of the represent representative for Planet 8 by Philip Glass. That was at Houston Grand Opera in 1988, and that is your two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box School with George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man Camacho. That is what you're listening to. You can uh, call us on air at this point and get your voice heard. 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. We want to hear your opinion on what we've been talking about tonight. 847-866-9687. Or you can tweet us at Opera Box Score. Hello again, everyone. How are we doing? We're doing good. Hey, look, let's make this simple. 847-866-WNUR. I want you to call that number if you've seen a production of <laughs> The Making of the Representative for Planet 8 by Philip Glass. <laughs> and you will win a date with George. <laughs> <laughs> and I will take you out to dinner at a restaurant I, or bar of your choosing. I had to dig dig around because I was like, oh, this is one I don't know. I could not find. I, I found like little yeah. bits and pieces. I, I don't think there's ever been a complete recording. It goes recording. like this. do 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 Oh, that's a low blow there. A low blow. No, no, that wasn't a low blow. I'll tell you what a low blow was. 
Yeah, this um, Woody Allen's production of Puccini's um, Gianni Schicchi, this is the production from L.A. Opera, which is all like in um, grayscale, monochrome. Right. Apparently, it's hilariously funny. I'm, I'm kind of surprised it's taken so long to get to La Scala, quite frankly. I'm, I'm kind of more, uh, I'm interested in, well, I'm interested in the, the production for two reasons. One, uh, Woody Allen in the Me Too era, not a great combination. It's bad, very bad optics. Yeah. Uh, uh, number two, uh, I can't really see Woody Allen's style transitioning into the opera world. Oh, no, I disagree no. with you there. No, I mean, I, I've, I've seen some clips of it, actually, and it's, it's pretty damn funny. Hmm. hmm. Because I think it would have to be really, really, really good um, to have people accept a Woody Allen uh, <laughs> directed production on a, on a on a, a stage that large and important. And I I would not be surprised if we heard about some uh, uh, protests around it um, for various reasons. If you don't know what Woody Allen's done uh, well, the, at this point, you know the the protesters are, are at the Royal Opera House. Yes, uh, this. this I found this fascinating. So Extinction Rebellion is this climate change protest group whose battle tactics are gluing themselves to buses, trains, the doors of government buildings in order to protest. And in this case, in this case, staging a die-in because well, but it's not because the one thing that I okay, so I am a supporter of their cause. I will say that climate change is important; it can't be ignored. I am not a supporter of because of an oil company um, being a sponsor of an opera company, drawing attention to them for that. I guess what I'm saying is, I don't know. What am I saying, guys? Uh, I, mean, I don't know. It's sh- like it's, they should go protest, protest BP at BP, not at the Royal Opera House. The, the purpose is to disrupt, right? Well, and, you're right. And if, I'm an idiot. If that's my the goal. My foot's in my mouth. Your, your foot is not in your mouth. Your toe is in your mouth. The, look, <laughs> the, the purpose is to disrupt. And Feels if you want to do it with people who will be, be suitably annoyed, who have spent time and money to go see something beautiful. This is a production right. of Bizet's Carmen at Covent Garden. Like, that's effective. Yeah, and I, yeah, you're right. I'm is, an idiot. This is a, a a big issue, I think, in uh, particularly uh, large opera houses, uh, particularly the big ones. I mean, uh, you see, you know, you, you open up the program and you see ads for Rolexes, uh, uh, oil companies, uh, things that are, you know, ex- things that are inherently not great. I mean, I, Rolexes maybe a little less than the oil companies, but you know, things that are, you know, uh, that separated out as this is where the mon- money is. This is where the exclusivity is. Um, these are the kinds of people who are who are uh, supporting uh, the well, opera. These, these evil companies are the types of organizations who can afford and will take the tax break for supporting the artists. Exactly. Right. I mean, didn't Mobile used to sponsor the Met broadcast? Uh, Texaco. Texaco, yeah. thank you. Yep. Yes, I knew you would know that, Weston. <laughs> I heard too many live uh, radio broadcast of the Mets and not know that. Um, Texaco, formerly of Standard Oil, and then it all rules back to being yeah. Standard So oil, anyway. the Tosca at Aix-en-Provence <laughs> Festival uh, is bizarre, and I don't quite understand it. Uh, it's been reimagined by David Honoré, or Christ- Christophe Honoré. Yeah. Um, it seems to use all of the music of Tosca, but mm-hmm. with additional recordings added on, maybe some lines spoken by Catherine Malfatano, it is bizarre, and if anybody's seen it, please tell us what this thing is. I'm so confused. But you can all read the review uh, in the New York Times, um, which we'll link to on our website. But it seems like more like a film project. Um, it has Angel Blue, Joseph Kalea, 
Uh, Catherine Mapoltano is in it, but I don't think she's singing. Well, just ask she's him. sort of playing herself, I yeah. think, Oliver. It's it is it is bizarre. Yeah. Um, we'll just ask Angel Blue when we get her on the show. There, you, there you go. You and know, plus I'm a really big fan of French guys these days. So if you are at the Aix en Provence Provence Festival and you're single, <laughs> and you like them brown. <laughs> A link, a link to the production is on our website, operaboxcore.com. <laughs> Oliver, you are in rare form the, tonight. The directors <laughs> among you, when you look at these production photos, you're going to be so irate, and you're going to think to yourself, "That's cheating." Do you know what I could have done uh, with, with that amount of money? Yeah. That's that's uh, what you're going to yeah. say to yourself. What would yeah. you do with that kind of money, George? Oh my God, I, he's never had that type of money. I, I wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> He would start ten other opera companies. <laughs> uh, another, uh, another sort of uh, friend of the show, uh, Justin Kim, being the first uh, male singer to do uh, Carabino at the Royal Opera House. Not the first male singer to do Carabino overall. I think we should point out. Uh, um, th- this is kind of an interesting one to me because I, I, I feel like I've seen uh, a lot of my mezzo soprano friends. Uh, complain whenever uh, a countertenor sort of steps in on their turf with these sorts of pants rolls. Um, And I I kind of wonder, I mean, I I do think that there is something to be said for, uh, obviously for castrati rolls, um, there was some sort of difference uh, for countertenors. Well, was not. Well, right, right. I'm I'm, I'm drawing the distinction that pants rolls have always been for women, and I see some people sort of complaining about that. That being said... I mean, Justin Kim's great. I think he would just absolutely be fantastic in that role. Okay, so I'm going to give a good call out right now. Yeah. Um, go check out Royal Opera House's Facebook video. Just Google, I mean, go to Facebook and look for Royal Opera House, and it should be at the top of their page. Uh, it is Justin Kim doing his Cecilia Bartoli impersonation. And it's, <laughs> it's like, so funny. Yeah, it's so, I mean, he's he's amazing. He's so amazing. So um, watch that, and I'll just say to to close that topic off, um, there is something about a woman, a very a very handsome woman, or maybe even a very boyish woman, um, playing the role of Carabino that is titillating for the audience. And probably for 18th century audience, it was very titillating. Oh, absolutely. Know? So imagine that a woman was on stage, you know, without, you know, her undergarments on, you know, changing into a man's shirt and being bare-chested. You know, we never, I mean, obviously, rarely do you see full-on, uh, nudity in the opera house from women, unless it's like Zalame. But there have been productions where, you know, very slender women, you know, had to be disrobed, you know, on stage. And that is like a lesbian moment. And I think it's great. And all the stuff between Carabino and the Contessa and Susanna are very homoerotic things, which True. I don't want to take away from the audience. So it makes opera very special. Um, so I don't think that necessarily I want to see a lot of. Connor Tenor singing Carabino, but because I love Justin Kim, I'm all for it. We'll always make an <laughs> exception for Justin. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> the, the, one, the story that really popped out at me this week uh, is this uh, opera camion, uh, which means what in Italian? Uh, Toby, do you know that, that one? It means truck. It means truck. So it's, an, it's literally opera truck. <laughs> it's like a taco truck, but for opera. Well, okay, so. <laughs> well, you know, it we isn't, pop, it isn't. We talk about pop-up opera sure. a lot, and you guys know that I'm actually... I think it's dumb to s- just plop opera on people unsuspectingly. <laughs> um, 
but so like we talked about i think it really turns people off to it they're like why is it why like anytime somebody's like hey we're gonna go do this like we're gonna do pop into a farmer's market and you're gonna sing libiamo i'm like no i'm probably not these people are trying to buy vegetables <laughs> they don't want me to do that toby and is so, not like, a fan of the flash no i think mob. it's dumb the flash thank you flash mob but anyway so we talked about the pop-up company in madison wisconsin or whatever that was doing it in a garage but that just seemed like lack of funding and then opera rome sponsors this and i'm telling you guys if you watch the video uh, it's like a real life production they roll up a semi they plop out a stage there's fantastic acoustics these guys sound amazing they're very professional singers and i'm like hey wait if you and like they're you know uh, lyric opera takes stuff into the neighborhoods as well if you're gonna do something do it right and this is done right and it does happen out of a semi-truck, so I did like that. It's like a food truck, but with <laughs> opera. I think we need to do, like, uh, we need to make an opera company between the uh, four or five of us, uh, Herman Aaron in the room right now, uh, and uh, we're just going to do uh, opera out of a monster truck. If anybody's ever seen great. the movie version of Hedwig and the Angry Inch, it's sort of like that. Yeah, I mean, look, the Opera Camion is funded by the opera in Rome, the main opera house, so obviously, you know, they want to get more of this art form out right this particular article talks about like bringing art to the masses in the the truck touring working class neighborhoods Eh, hard to say if that's really true or not because this is not an italian source that we're coming from here i will say that truck though i mean it's legit like it isn't the kind of you know dopey food truck thing like this is (laughs) this has been like suitably retrofitted and and um it's enormous yeah. as well this yeah truck I, I would i would love to see that pull in my neighborhood right after the ice cream truck all right we got to wrap it up let's go good call bad call on opera box score does anyone have a good or bad call for me you know i'll do another good call yeah <laughs> check out vocalartschicago.com if you want to see what happened in the first half of 2019, some of the best performances in Chicago for the first half of the year since we were sort of on the theme last week of halftime of the year. Love Vocal Arts Chicago. I think it's some of the best coverage of of any classical music in the city. Uh, I have a good call. It was the 4th of July, and I got to grill on a charcoal grill, and I made (laughs) ribeyes and vegetables, and I'm still happy. (laughs) Did you sing as you did it? If you didn't, it doesn't count. Okay, good, good, good. Uh, Once again, uh, if you want uh, tickets to the Ravinia Festival, go to ravinia.org. Check that out if you're in the Chicagoland area. That is it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera, as I previously said. The general managers at WNUR are Henry Moscow and Somil Sangvi. Our announcer is Norm Waddell at VoxerShorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra with opera statistics and on-this-day content from OperaBase.com. On Facebook, search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts on Twitter. We're at Opera Box Score. And please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. For our guest, Molly Sender, along with co-host George Cedarquist and Tobias Wright, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera while you're nursing that Independence Day hangover. We're back on Monday, July 15th at 9 p.m. Central when we induct our first American composer into the fabled OBS Hall of Fame. Plus, more opera news, more hot takes, and more sunburns. Join us then. This is WNUR 89.3 FM and HD Northwestern Evanston, Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.